Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, helping you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. It's all right here for you with this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. Remember to visit us online, too, at besteveryou.com. And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino. Yeah, that all sounds so fancy schmancy. Really what this is is I'm in my house, in my office, my hair is on top of my head, and I'm sort of winging it. But it's all good because that's what it's all about. And that is Ditch the Act, and that is just so much about just keeping it real and, um, you know, my case, 50 and four kids, they're coming home from college this week. And yeah, anyway, I'm tired. Welcome to Best Ever You, everybody. <laughs> um, I'm Elizabeth, and uh, I have got a great guest with us tonight. We have the one and only the best of the best, Mr. Leonard Kim with us. He's at, Miss, at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter also. Um, Leonard, how are you? Thank you for being here. I'm doing pretty amazing. Thank you for having me, Elizabeth. It's a pleasure to be here with all your listeners and yourself. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we we don't know each other. This is our first time really talking to each other other than Twitter. And um, that's what I love about social media. You just have access to people if they're willing to really answer you <laughs> for real. Say yes. <laughs> yes is a powerful thing sometimes when you when – you, uh, when you really do get a hold of people, somebody in social media that you really want on your radio show and really, it's not really about me and you being on my radio show. What it's really about for me is trying to share this information with more and more and more people, because this is a great book that you've written. And um, I love this from McGraw Hill. There's a note that comes with your book, which by the way, is called ditch the act. Well, you know that, but the people listening might not. So ditch the act is Leonard Kim's book. You can go to LeonardKim.com while we're listening here and learn more about it. Um, it's a great book, but this is a great letter, too. Um, I'll stop saying great, but it, it came from McGraw-Hill. It says, we're so grateful for your interest in the book. We've worked tirelessly to create over the past three years, Ditch the Act, reveal the surprising power of the real you for greater success. I love this next sentence. We put our blood, sweat, and tears into this project, and we hope that you feel the same way about this book that we do, that it has the potential to impact lives across the world and to potentially improve society as a whole. Those are some big goals there, and I think it lives up to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Awesome. I think I wrote that letter. (laughs) (laughs) Did you? It's a good letter. Yeah, I think so. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm like, wow, that sounds a lot, a lot more ambitious than I remember it being. You <laughs> <laughs> might have had an editor with it, too. Like, <laughs> I love that when I write something and somebody cleans it up. It's like, that sounds a lot better. Just follow me, okay? <laughs> Wish people right? could do that with my sentences, too. Just edit me always. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, um, that would be so amazing, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't it? I need it too. I screw up all the time, but I, I am the destroyer of last names, so I was like thankful that this was pretty easy to Leonard Kim. I got it. <laughs> you know, and there's no, there's no mispronouncing. <laughs> oh no, it's wrong. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God, wouldn't that be bad? <laughs> that would be like me though. <laughs> People have found that they got it off. <laughs> <laughs> I call it emphasis on the wrong syllable. 
Um, anyway, so, um, <laughs> so, all right, this is a great book. So Titch the Act, um, I'm just going to let you tell us about it. Tell me about this book, if you can, um, in, in a few sentences or whatever, to, speak, to help people learn why to go, you know, hit the buy button right now on Amazon. Sure. So if we think about society as a whole, nowadays we've kind of moved into the direction where uh, in my parents' generation, it was kind of keeping up with the Joneses, who has a bigger car, who has a bigger house, who has a nicer boat. We fast forward to today, everyone's kind of painting this airbrushed life where they're trying to one-up each other with showing who's happier, who's more successful, who's uh, moving up in their career. And this is translated not just on like Instagram and social media. Uh, for the last decade, if we've looked at like how people say you should like write your resumes, they're like, okay, put your accolade, talk about how you're measurable, talk about all the great things you did. So we've kind of created this entire society where we're trying to put our best foot forward. But um, a lot of times what this does is it causes imposter syndrome, feeling like a fraud. And sometimes when we end up doing this, our uh, lives on paper don't really match up our lives in person. And that causes a lot of detriment for a lot of people, and not just the people who want to go out there and build personal brands and become successful. So what Ditching the Act really is, is it's taking off that mask, reconditioning how society really uh, taught you to be, and going out there and being who you truly are, yourself, your true authentic self. And that's by talking about not just the good like we've been accustomed to, but also sharing the bad and the ugly as well. Yeah. Uh, I got plenty of that. <laughs> People have heard it all through the years. <laughs> I got lots of it. You know, that's so true. Can we go to just, just right off the bat, can we just head on over to Instagram for just a brief second and just be like, you know, I feel like to be on Instagram, I even have to like airbrush my house. <laughs> I mean it. It's like, oh my god. Ah, I, I might. Is it possible that I? And you can I, I try not to. I, I, it might be that I'm too old. I don't know. Like I can get a pretty good grip on like every social media format and see its use. But man, I am feeling fifty on Instagram, and I'm feeling like. I am too real for this or something. I don't know. I don't match up with Instagram very well at all. I'm trying. I don't think a, I don't think a lot of people do. And about uh, while I was writing the book, I think it was in either in like December or January, I came across this post and it was an article where someone asked, have you ever like smiled on social media when you really didn't feel that way? And then all these people started putting up their Instagram posts when they were, like, smiling. And they're like, well, I was smiling. What really happened was I was losing my home or I just got out of a yeah. relationship or I actually cried hours beforehand. But then people feel this societal pressure where they need to go out there and paint this perfect picture and make it look like everything is okay. When, in fact, most of the time it really isn't. And if we look at society as a whole – I don't think it's even possible to be happy every single moment you come onto the internet. Like that just doesn't seem like the logical way for everyone to be. Yet Instagram seems to be pushing everyone into that direction where everyone feels like they need to go and Photoshop and airbrush out their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I've taken a stance on Instagram that I, you know, I'm just going to keep it real. <laughs> it's just, it's totally real. <laughs> and what I try and, and what I think I, I aim for on Instagram it's just to be positive. It doesn't have to be fake or anything like that. Just, I do like to be positive, but you know, I like in my own life, I'm a pretty decent migraine sufferer. 
and people know it, you know, and I'll be like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm out today. I got, an, you know, a pretty decent migraine. I can't even <laughs> think I want to post, here I am with my migraine, but maybe I should, um, you know, because there's some crappy days. And um, I, I don't see them on that format very well. Where I see that and probably where I hang out a little bit more is Facebook for that. Um, I am very, like, very aware of people's feeds and so forth, um, you know, and there's a lot of prayer requests, a lot of. I'm in the hospital or my, like uh, when my father died, I, I posted it there and we were talking about it and stuff. And it's a pretty neat community on Facebook that'll rally for you. And and you would yeah, rally um, for them. Uh, I don't think it's uh, determined by platform. I think what Good it's point. determined by is the intent of the person who's posting. Like as uh, Facebook has kind of been like that medium playing ground where a lot of people just go on and they share what they're really thinking about. But when people mm-hmm. hop onto like LinkedIn, they feel like they need to put on like maybe a professional mask and start yeah. talking about all the different things that are work related. When they're on Instagram, they think that they have to put up their travels. Um, it, and it's kind of like what happens is even when you're like in the office, like I remember when I used to work at American Honda, I worked there for about four years in their customer service department. And then whenever the president of the company would walk through the entire uh, building to go and to see what everyone was doing, the department manager would come out and they'd be like, okay, everyone get on your best behavior now, make it look like you're working really hard. Then once the president left, guess what? (laughs) Everything went back to normal. And then like, it's like, why are we actually doing this? Are we like, if we impress the president when he comes in, are we going to get a nicer job? I know that didn't happen for me because I didn't get a raise or a single promotion for four years. And it yeah. seems like like whenever people meet like maybe the founder of a company or maybe meet a superior, they start sucking up to them and saying, hey, let me talk about all these great things that I'm doing. And what does that really do? Or they try to pat them on the back or something. When in reality, all they have to do is just be real and then they create human connection. Just like you've been seeing on Facebook. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a really good point. And it's a very good branding point as well. Um you know, because we're all trying to figure it out. I've seen these like graphics floating around where it's like, the, you know, it's like, here's how you post the same cup of coffee on different platforms or whatever, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll show you how to, <laughs> have you seen that before? Where you're like, I think I have. Platform. Yeah, I know. And so that's, that's, that's good to, that's good information to know. Um, because some, I mean, really, truly though, like sometimes if you take your Facebook post and throw it over on LinkedIn, people are like, why are you posting that here? And so I, it, there is some of that, um, you know, but, eh, but I agree with you. Yeah. It's, it, it isn't platform specific, like you say, um, you, you've had your own chaos, correct? Yeah, I've been through a quite a uh, tumultuous journey that um, you would think would end at some point. <laughs> but I don't know what it yeah. really does. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting. Um, do you want me to get into detail about any of it, really, or well, share you know, some I of the things that kind of happened? I would because, um, you know, for the benefit of any listener out there who is new to you, because we might have some people, you know, I, I, I – I think people pretty much know who you are, but I think it would be um, wonderful to share a few things in case there's somebody out there who's not familiar with everything about you. 
Sure. So I'd say my career started in about 2004, I believe. I went to college for about a year, didn't really want to move forward with it. Got a job at Macy's selling women's shoes, you know, what mm-hmm. anyone who's fresh out of college would want to do. <laughs> I've been and, there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Men's clothing for me, thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh. I was doing that for about a year, and my mom was like, you know what? I'm going to move to Hawaii. You're going to have to pay for the car, the apartment, and all this other stuff. And I was sitting there going, oh, great. Uh, how much does all this stuff cost? And I'm trying to do the math and figuring it out, trying to do the math of how much I earn at my job. And I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work. I got to go find a new job. I talked to my friends online, started messaging them, asking them a very intrusive question called, how much money do you make at your job? (laughs) One of them said he was making $4,000 a month selling cars. I'm like, oh, can you get me an interview there? (laughs) Um, So I did that for a while. And things were okay. The first two months were horrible. I made minimum wage. I had no idea what I was doing, but I kind of picked it up. But after that, I think I stopped selling cars at the end of 2006. Uh, 2007, I kind of had this uh, bright idea that maybe I could go out there and make a business. And that just turned completely sour in 2017, put me in about $50,000 of debt, had my car repossessed and all this other stuff. Yeah, I decided there, it was time to go back into the career world. Uh, saw a lot of people buying Lamborghinis who were working in the real estate industry. Thought I'd hop into that. Uh, did that for a few months. Then uh, the 2008 real estate market crash happened. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. guess I'm not making money in this industry. Uh, figured if that wasn't going to work, maybe I should go into the stock market because that's the other thing that I thought would make a lot of money. Uh, Then the stock market crashed, so (laughs) that didn't really work out either. Uh, So that was 2008. Then 2009 to about 2010, I kind of worked at a few different startups. They all kind of went under. Uh, It got to the point where I didn't pay my electricity bill for about six months, Uh, got served an eviction notice, was showering in the dark. And from there, it was like, okay, what's going to really happen with my life? I called my mom. I told her I was going to go live under a bridge. She called my grandma. My grandma took me in for a while. And I lived with her for a little bit, worked at another startup that paid me about $2,300, $2,600 for like six months of work, not um, total, not um, a month. So it was like a few yeah. bucks a month. <laughs> um, yeah. Realized that I couldn't stay living off my grandma forever and freeloading, even though in hindsight that would kind of be nice. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? I'm yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Grandma. We uh, love you, Grandma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? And it's so yeah. nice. It's like, oh, we got food, we got TV, we got video games, <laughs> no real responsibilities. It's kind of <laughs> nice. But um, decided that I needed to go make some money. So I borrowed (laughs) a few hundred bucks from a friend, started sleeping on the sofa, worked at, uh, got a job at American Honda. Um, What I talked about earlier, worked there for about four years, earning $16.24 an hour, never getting a single raise, never getting a single promotion. That sucks. I'm sorry. That blurted out. I do that too. Two years into it, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Um, Obamacare passed. 
So 80 something dollars got taken out of my paycheck now. Uh, that was my lunch money. So, or it was either my lunch or dinner money. So I went down to eating one meal a day instead of two. I had 30 minute lunch breaks. I had to take public transportation for like two and a half hours to three hours a day, depending on if I missed the bus or not. And I was kind of living in poverty and I was like, okay, how long can I keep doing this for? And uh, while I was working there in 2012, I broke my ankle one day hopping over a fence and I had three months to really think about life because you're kind of bedridden and you can't really do much. During that three months, I thought about everything that was going on and I figured that I was exactly where I was today because that was exactly where I was supposed to be based off all the decisions I made in life and all the actions I took. So I kind of backtracked and started to go back and remember all the instances in life that got me to where I was. And I realized that I was being selfish, I was being cocky, arrogant, and all these negative traits. And I'm like, why was I doing all this? And it, I was like, oh, it was just to impress this one girl. And I'm like, oh, how was I before that? And then I went back even further. And I remember my grandfather who had Alzheimer's when I was in my um like in ninth grade and 10th grade before he passed away. And before he passed away and before he had Alzheimer's, like he led his life with like love, giving, helping people out, going to the school cafeteria to volunteer, helping in uh, with any handiwork that anyone needed. Everyone looked at him with a smile. Their eyes glistened when they looked at him. Like he was loved by every single person around. And I looked at me and I'm like, "Mm, no one likes me. And at that moment, I kind of realized that I needed to really go and give back to the world, but I didn't really know how. Um, I spent the next year practicing writing or practicing my thoughts, thinking about like what the different things were, trying to recollect all the memories and stuff like that. Then in 2013, I came across a post by James Altucher, and it was, what does it feel like to lose a lot of money quickly? When I read that post, I was like, wow, this guy's just like me, except for he made a lot more money, and he lost a lot more money than I did. And when I read that post, I was kind of inspired, and I spent the next month like looking over all of his content, reading other people's content, and just getting really uh, <clears throat> immersed into it. And a lot of the content I read said, just go out there and try something, try something, try something. So in May 15, 2013, I believe it was, I wrote my first post on the internet. I continued to write, and by December 2013, I had 2 million reads. Uh, December 2014, I had 10 million reads and I think 20,000 social media followers. Uh, I started writing for like Inc. Magazine in 2015, and Found a job like in 2013. I applied for like hundreds of jobs, got three book callbacks, but no one hired me, so I was stuck at my job. I tried going back to school, but then school is this long term plan that takes a lot of time to really pan out, so that didn't really work. And I tried writing, and that writing is what kind of took off and kind of uh, brought me to be where I am today. And I think a lot of that had to do with going out there and not just sharing the good moments, not bragging about a lot of the things I did, but really going out there and letting people know what kind of led me into becoming into that place where I was being evicted, where I was left with nothing, and sharing all the bad moments in life. Yeah. 
And I guess you fast forward to today, get a better job, get better jobs, get clients, um, get media features, somehow get a book deal, and all this other great stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, that, you know, it's, it's, it, well, I appreciate you going through that because, you know, there's always somebody listening whose life is touched by something like that. There's a, there's a lot of people who are struggling for whatever reason it is. I like to, I, I have this phrase I call walking wounded. And um, I don't see other people as walking wounded, but I just sort of know we all are. <laughs> um, we all are walking around with one thing or another or another or another or a whole bunch of others that you know have, have happened to us um, or happened for us or whatever you want to say. And it can be the things like you're talking about. It can be an illness. It can be, um, you know, for example, like my father died a year ago and the past year has just been like this wild ride of, you know, grief and sad and happy and, you know, just all these different kinds of moments and everything. And there's no way to hide that. No, there really isn't. But a lot of people really do try to go and hide those bad moments and bury them and act as if they didn't happen. Like even this last year for myself in February, my wife uh, decided to leave her employer due to a misogynistic incident. incident. Mm -hmm. And that took a huge detriment to our household income. So I could have stayed quiet and pretended that nothing would have happened. But if I did, we would have lost our apartment. We'd be living with my mom right now and we would have downsized cars. Sure, we had to do some of those things. Uh, We did downsize the Jaguar to a Hyundai because of the incident. Um, It did take some time to go and uh, re recoup some of those financial losses with the business and kind of counteract that. And maybe it was a bad idea to move into my mom's place for a month. But then by going out there and sharing all these things of what happened, we were able to get support from others, sign on new clients, go and get better positions, earn some more money, and go out there and move into a nice house. Now, that doesn't mean that everything's all perfect and everything's all fine and dandy. Like, we still struggle with depression and um, feeling Mm -hmm. hopeless and just feeling all those, like, sad emotional traits that anyone would feel every day. And the only difference is, like, we don't really hide that. We kind of wear that and let people know about those feelings that we have because that's what connects us and uh, yeah. keeps that human touch within our uh, conversations and our relationships. I, I just couldn't agree with you more. Um, whether it's a, a struggle or a goal, I so love it when people talk about it because then people can show up for you. They actually know you and they actually know what's going on in your world to to be able to either lend a few, you know, ears, bucks, places, jobs, you know, whatever, whatever it is, people will show up in a variety of different ways. But if, but if you don't tell anybody, nobody knows. Yeah. Like one of the crazy things is like over this past weekend, my wife freaked out because she had a realization that next month she's going to turn 31 and then she's like, oh, my God, I'm going to be this. And then, like, you, you know how for women, age is, like, a, a big factor. And oh, it, yeah. it, 
just, I'm a lot older than her. <laughs> I'm turning 51 this year, next year. 2020 is 51 for me. So uh, cherish yeah. the 31. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and yeah, right. Like, for me, like, like coincidentally, like two hours before she started freaking out about that, I put, oh, I'm about to be 35. I'm about to be middle-aged. And I put that on Twitter. And all these people were responding saying, no, 40 is the new middle age, 50, 60. And they're all adding these numbers. And, like, while Angie was, like, freaking out about it, I'm like, you know what's funny? Like, um, go look at my Twitter. I posted about this about, like, two hours ago. And she started reading all the comments. And then at the end of it all, uh, like she calmed down, she felt relaxed. She didn't feel like uh, that dirty one was going to like completely destroy her life. And instead, she was like, "Wow, I'm so glad that we're all in this together." And I think what happens is a lot of us, what we feel is when we have that detrimental moment, that thing that we're holding on to inside, we feel like we're the only one to feel that way. We feel yeah. alone. We feel trapped. And uh, if we were the only ones who felt that way, it would really suck because that means no one could relate to us and we're just drowning by ourselves. But when we go out there and we share these uh, vulnerable moments with others, we realize that we aren't alone, that we are really all in this together. And we do get the support and camaraderie from others that helps lift, lift us all up to be better together. Yeah. Yeah. It, when um, When I have clients and so forth, I talk a lot about perspective also. And, um, you know, the it's not that it's not like it's 31 or 41 or 51 or whatever, but the, you know, the, I think, and correct me and edit this, but the goal is to age because <laughs> the alternative is certainly. So. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I've posted pictures of myself before and gotten comments like, wow, you look so old for how young you are. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> No, I'm 51. Oh, I thought you were like 30. I'm like, no, 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 no. 50, you know, kind of thing. And so just, it, it is what it is. And, you know, you kind of, you want the wrinkles. Cause you know, yeah, and you I think age. what it does is it, it gives you wisdom. It gives you more experience. Sure it gives you a, a lot more where you could bring to the table like, I mean, it'd be cool to kind of hang out at the table with a lot of 12-year-olds and eat and have a conversation. But um, I believe someone who's probably in their 40s, 50s, 60s could bring a lot more wisdom to that conversation and share a lot more knowledge and insight that could really help and bring everyone to reach another level. Even though yeah. a party with 12-year-olds should be pretty fun. Oh, um, yeah. They're, they're such a blast. <laughs> Kids are such a total riot. Um, they're so much fun. Um, so, okay. So how does this all tie into your book? For example, what's a unique bio and like, what's an exposure resume? So Tie us back into a lot of book. people. Sure. So let's take that exposure resume and let's kind of dissect what it is. Uh, when we apply for a job, we know that we have to go out there and we have to tell our accolades, go and measure it, and talk about all the good things that happened in our career. Uh, when we think about everything that we do in life, we know how to share the good moments because our entire culture and society has showed us how to go out there and airbrush our lives, paint that perfect picture, uh, one, uh, <clears throat> talk about ourselves in a positive way. But nothing really out there shows us how to go out there and share those bad or those ugly moments. 
And when we think about like authenticity, vulnerability, transparency, and all those other buzzwords that people use, people are like, oh, go out there and be authentic. But no one actually tells you exactly how to do it. And the way to be authentic is to not just play that highlight reel. It's by incorporating and creating a more cohesive picture of who you are that includes the bad and the ugly. So what that exposure resume allows you to do is it highlights all the bad moments in your life, the things that were troubling, the things where you were maybe crying in the car with your best friend because you didn't know what to do due to maybe like a lost relationship, a lost business, a family member who passed away, uh, maybe losing a home, whatever it may be. And that helps you identify those moments. And what the exposure resume then allows you to do is there's a questionnaire that comes after it where it asks you how you would feel if someone were to go out there and read or see or know about all these shortcomings that you thought that you had in your life. Now, it's normal for people's opinions to go, oh, I'll get mocked, judged, ridiculed, called a loser, uh, or be laughed off stage or whatever it may be. Yet, from all the research that we've done, when people share these kinds of moments, it usually ends up becoming a positive experience. So the checkoff box makes people mark off all the positive things that are going to happen when people do it yeah. instead. Then it teaches them how exactly to go out there and share these moments. Now, when we fast forward to the uh, authentic bio, uh, what that is, is it becomes the most important document that anyone has on the web. And the reason for that is if someone comes across you in person, or maybe they come across a piece of content you make, and it really strikes a chord or you make an impression, the first thing that they're going to want to do is go hop on the search engine and Google you to get to know exactly who you are. When they have the opportunity to read about you, they'll probably fall upon your bio. And with your bio, you have the opportunity for the person who reads it to really get to know, like, and trust you. If you create your bio in an extremely compelling way, they can take it even further where they just not only like you, they actually fall in love with you. And if people fall in love with you, you could have a growing business, you could have business contacts, you could go and move your career in multiple ways and things like that. And with that bio, what we do is we teach readers how to go out there and share that good, the bad, the ugly, and those other monumental really separates them and makes them who they are. Like maybe the book shouldn't have been titled um, Ditch the Act, but maybe start with who. Like how Simon Sinek has start with why. Not everyone out there has a why that they could start with, but everyone kind of has a who that they could start with. Because we all yeah. exist. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I like that a lot. Do you, um, when you're talking about this, so we have a couple questions. I'm going to start to ask some of the questions because a lot of people have sent us in questions for you. And um, cool. some people are still at work, so they're going to listen on replay, but they asked if I would ask a question. Um, this question is about influencer marketing. And what the question is, is they want to know if what you're talking about pertains to getting a job or whether it pertains to being like your own brand to be like an influencer um, and, and have that brand where, you know, you're followed on social media, you might have a book or, a, or an Instagram where you're an influencer over there, you know, that, those types of things. Because sometimes when, when you, I think what they're asking, do I need this type of bio for, you know, just like a job at American Honda, for example. 
So the great thing is if you want to go out there and you have a job and you want to move up in your career, if you go and you create a bio, if you go out there and you build relationships with your coworkers and colleagues, if you start to kind of ditch the eyes and reveal your whole authentic self, you can build fundamental relationships with your coworkers, with your superiors at the office. Well, I guess superior is probably not a good word. But the people who have higher positions than you at uh and maybe even do we call that inside the company <laughs> we need a new word for that because they're we do. not your superiors <laughs> well then you know what when i was and in the work when i was 20 21 20, you know 20s that's what it was called your superiors so it's it's just an older it's an older term i think maybe yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we need a new word. Like there's you're listening. You're yeah. listening. We need a new word for superior. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be added to the dictionary. Like one person in the book <laughs> one person in the book, uh, Dr. Ashley Weissong, she worked at the Keck School of Medicine at the University of Southern California. Uh, she decided to go out there and build her personal brand. She got pretty intertwined with the media relations department. Whenever there were articles or media features that were being created, she was basically on top of everything. She went out there into her local communities and got involved with the boards and everything and kind mm-hmm. of built that personal brand up. Uh, I, I forget exactly what uh, school it was, but they wanted a chair to go out there and build a brand new dermatology department, and they called upon her to go and do it. So she's someone with a job, and she went out there and built a personal brand and ditched the act and was able to get a chair position, which is like the highest position aside from a dean that you could kind of get out of school. Right. And she runs an entire department now when she used to be an assistant professor. Got it. Yeah, no, so there's a tremendous value. And um, I, I'm on your website, leonardkim.com, and I'm clicking on personal branding, <clears throat> excuse me, and it takes me to influencetree.com. Can you sort of tie that in to what you were just talking about maybe? So Influence Tree has multiple components to it. Ditch the Act is a product of Influence Tree. That's a book that kind of gives everyone everything that they want to know to really go out there and build a personal brand. Uh, Before the book was ever created, uh, Ryan and myself, what we did is we created an entire course with 52 different lessons that teach you everything you need to know to grow your audience, build a following, go out there and land media features and build a huge successful personal brand. And uh, with that course, that kind of, out of that kind of came the book. And an interesting thing that happened is once Ryan and I completed making that course where we teach people how to build their personal brand, a lot of people came to us asking us if we could help them uh, one-on-one to go out there and build their personal brand. So there's an agency component to it too, where we work with, uh, we work with people like, um, the vice president of IoT over at Cisco, Joseph Bradley, Stephen Ducks, a day trader who's uh, made $5 million by the age of 25. We've worked with a few people over at Dropbox and all these other companies to really help them go out there and build successful personal brands. So That's it's awesome. kind of cohesive where it's not just the book, it's not just the course, and it's not just helping us, <laughs> helping people yeah. kind of go out there and do it themselves. It's kind of all together. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to that fence for a moment now, and um, I'm not sure I want to know why you were hopping a fence, but I'm just going to just take it that you were hopping a fence, but go with me for a moment, and um, 
what do you think your life would be like right now if you hadn't um, had the ankle incident? So let's see if I didn't get drunk that night and if I didn't get in a fight with my ex-girlfriend and if I didn't forget <laughs> that I had the keys in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. Um, like, like that, what most people would think is an extremely tragic incident that would kind of like destroy someone's life. But the mm-hmm. weird thing is, is if that moment didn't happen, I probably wouldn't be here today. And I think if that didn't happen, I might still be working at American Honda, earning $16.24 an hour, wondering what I was going to do with my life, not being married, not writing a book, not being featured in the media, and, you know, just kind of not talking to you, sitting at home with my mom, crying, wondering when life would end. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get it. Um, Is it, are you you ambitious? Is that a good, is that a word that you would use to describe yourself? Well, I don't think so. I wouldn't really say that I'm ambitious. I think what I do is if I do something and I get really excited about it, then I'll continue to do it. Like when I started writing, like I was pretty iffy about the first post I ever put up. I'm like, oh, Lord, people are going to mock me, judge me, ridicule me. And it took me about 30 minutes to actually gather up the courage and actually click that post so it would go out into the uh, Internet and go mm-hmm. out there so everyone could read it. But I didn't post again until like a, a month and five days. And <laughs> what happened within those months and five days is I was reading other people's content but then um, one person's content that I continued to read, they looked over, saw that I was um, looking at a lot of their stuff, read my thing, and uh, shared it with like a thousand people. And I was like, wow, someone actually believed in my stuff. That's so cool. And then I kind of got really excited, and I started writing like every day. Yeah, good. Yeah, You know, I've never had anybody answer the question, yes, I'm ambitious, yet. Everybody always talks about passion. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot about ambition. I, I, I Personally, I'm, I'm working on a, uh, I don't know what I'm working on. It's, it's an article or it's a book or something. I'm not real sure, but it's the intersection of gratitude and ambition. Because a lot of people think that if you're even slightly ambitious, you lose your gratitude. I'm like, mm, I don't know that I agree with that completely. And then you enter what you said was, um, maybe you can help me think about this a little too. So if you've got anything to add to it, we'll, we'll talk about it. But when, when you're very passionate about something, that sh- shifts the ambition and keeps the gratitude. So, like what you just said. Huh. Well, I know when I was like 21 and stuff, I'm like, oh, I want to go out there and be a millionaire. And I tried to be pretty ambitious and tried to do it, but it didn't really work because I wasn't really excited about a lot of the things that I was doing. And I was just doing Mm -hmm. it to try to impress this girl. Uh, But then when I was writing uh, consistently and I kind of had that passion and excitement for doing it, I was doing it because I wanted to go out there and write another piece, and I was kind of happy with actually doing it. It wasn't until, like, maybe, like, I think four or five months into my writing, I had a realization where it was like, wow, a lot of people are reading this. You should probably make a website, Leonard. (laughs) Like, slowly adding in those, like, capitalistic things into it as it kind of grew. But it was kind of more of those organic efforts. And I think it was... I think the ambition was I want to keep doing what I'm actually enjoying uh, doing because it was kind of fun 
Yeah. It, you know, but, we, have, yeah. we have a little bit of similarity to us in that <clears throat> I, I, I went to college. I finished college. But I wasn't really that thrilled with it. You know, I'm kind of like, okay, get me out of here. I don't like math. I do like to write. You know, I kind of figured it out a little bit. But um, I, when I started having children, it was very difficult for me to do it all. I am not one of those like, oh, I can do this all. It's great. You know, I can have a job, put the kids at daycare and be fun, cook dinner and do, you know, I just, that's not me. So I was like, let me try and figure this out. What am I going to do? So I work from home and uh, we've, like I said, we have four boys. They're 18, 20, 22, and 24 now. And so I've, I've done best ever you pretty much the entire time. Um, they've, you know, been little basically, you know what I mean? Half their age now. And um, it's funny because they've been all, all raised with the words hashtag gratitude on the refrigerator <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> but uh, they're so sick of they're like, oh, God, that's ever you. But, you know, it's they're raised with it and stuff. So they're raised with the percolate, you know, philosophy and the best ever you thing and all this stuff. And um, But it's it's tricky to to do it all, like you say. And but it's not so tricky as I'm getting to my point when it's very heart based. You really love what you're doing, doesn't it? Just change it. Because I've been a real estate agent before. I've done, you know, when you were rattling off your things, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. I worked at Walmart as a door greeter. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and, uh, yep, that was me. And um, so I, I totally get it. But it, it does, don't you think it just changed? Well, aren't you just so proud of your book? Are you like, yay, this is my book, right? Yeah, it's kind of awesome. I mean, like, um, I don't think that I would ever, like, write a book. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, um, if you go back to me in, like, 2012 when I broke my ankle and I'm sitting there going, oh, wow, life really sucks. I don't know what I'm (laughs) doing. Like, at that moment, if you told me, hey, Leonard, you're going to write a book, I'd be like, wait, what? Yeah, (laughs) no, that's what I mean. about someone else. Yeah, same thing. You yeah. know, I've got a book and I'm just like, yeah, I can't believe I have a book, you know, kind of thing. And I've got a couple more children's books actually coming out in 2020. So, I mean, I, I, oh, I get awesome. it when you really thank you, but I really love hearing that the past, you know, you talk about these things because um, it's also not about you. You're very much talking about how to help people be their best in a variety of different ways. Um, and you have um, one of the things that I, I, I've watched a bunch of times before I even knew you on Twitter was your TEDx talk. Like I actually watched that before I, you know, so it's why you should let your fears guide you. I think a lot of people have watched this. It's internationally recognized as one of the best TED talks by Forbes, Inc. and Mashable, right? Um, I think so. Yeah. So yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. It's very, it's a very, it's wise. And, um, what was that moment like? Let's talk about that because um, that had to be uncomfortable. I personally can't bring myself to be on stage. I'm terrified. Oh, that was absolutely ner- nerve-wracking. Like about <laughs> an bet. hour before, <laughs> an hour before <laughs> actually talking, I think I went to the restroom like maybe about ten to twenty different times. I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do. I'm sweating. I was standing there, super nervous, shaking, like out of control, and I'm like, okay, I gotta go on the stage. I gotta go on the stage. I gotta figure out how to do this. 
And it was just so hard for me to do. And I think if you even watch the presentation, like for the first half of it, you could t- kind of tell that I'm like completely nervous. Then you after there's kind of hits okay. a moment where <laughs> there, there hits good. a moment where I kind of go, oh wait, this is okay, I could do this. And then it kind of turns yeah. out better. <laughs> well, but that's a TED talk in and of itself. You know, that's my TED talk. I just want to sit on stage until I'm comfortable. <laughs> I do. I just want to be like, can you? I need the whole audience to help me. I just need to sit here so that I overcome this fear of you thinking my thighs are fat. I'm all, you know, whatever it is that might go through your head. Just write it down on a piece of paper and throw it like an airplane and throw it up here or something. I cannot figure it out. <laughs> I do. I want to write everything that you're thinking and just, you know, fold it into an airplane and wing it at me. But, you know, t- being on stage is terrifying. Um, and I think the more terrifying thing, and I'm totally admitting this, um, is <coughs> memorizing that. There are no cards in your hand. I looked. And there's no prompter. Like, you memorized that. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine I, I've done I've I've done a few speeches after this, and I think I did maybe like one or two smaller ones before that. Uh, yeah. What I've kind of found is the way to really understand uh, how to go from the beginning to the end is make your pictures uh, or make your slides pictures, and then attach certain memories to each picture. So then when you flip from one picture to the next picture, your memory, <laughs> you go, oh, go. yeah. Oh, that's oh, a great cool. idea. There's a cliff there. There's a cliff yeah. there. You have to talk okay. about something that relates to a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because I think I would actually be okay if you just put me out on stage and I didn't have to memorize anything. Like if I, Like if I could just sit there and wing it for an hour, I'd be better than if I had to memorize something. Because to me, memorizing yeah. something would feel like an act. Like I would feel like I'm I'm a, well, doing, delivering a monologue or something. It would freak me well, out. I did practice a lot. And, yeah. Um, uh, like when you practice, it never comes out the same two different times. It's always a slight variation. But yeah. uh, it's kind of in the same order of how the story is supposed to be. And sometimes you completely forget a part and you leave it out. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's <laughs> Did you do that, that in that one? <laughs> <laughs> Tell yeah. me, did you leave anything out of your famous TED Talk? How, why? Is there anything missing from it? That'd be really funny, I'm actually. Sure if I there did, was. but I haven't watched it for a while, so I'm not sure what it was. I'm like, oh no, I forgot about that. <laughs> That's like winning an Academy Award and forgetting to thank your wife or something. People do that all the time. Oh yeah. Oh, don't you yeah, feel bad? I did You're like, a oh, doctor no. profile. <laughs> I did a doctor profile for someone and then like we put it up and everything then like two hours three hours later he's like hey um Leonard can you change that to um my very uh my most proud moment is marrying my wife or something like that I'm like okay <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's epic <laughs> I started drafting the forward for somebody's book. I'm writing the forward for somebody's book. And um, 
I, I read it to my husband, and he's like, do I even exist? <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> That's a good point. We, we, we. So, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, we all goof like that. But, yeah, no, it's a really good TED Talk. Why um, tell me so people, you know, go from here to there and click and watch it. What does it help people do? Like the TED Talk. So, so people do. Uh, so, a lot of people, what they do is they have fear, kind of like how I had fear of pushing that button, uh, going out there and letting my fears, or letting my posts go out there into the uh, internet and into the world. Um, what people do is they have these fears that they have in life, um, aside from like arachnophobia and stuff, but fears where they might be judged, mocked, ridiculed, not go after their dreams, disappoint their parents and things like that, or uh, pursue something that they actually want to do. And what it's really about is recognizing that that fear means that you're onto something great, that you have something that's actually going to connect with the world and is probably actually going to really make a difference in some people's lives. So if you see that fear, you have to recognize it, uh, face it, and then do something about it because it's going to actually result in a lot of, <clears throat> and a lot more beneficial things than what's conceived in your head. Like Kind of like what we talked about with that exposure resume where we have all the uh, made-up scenarios that are kind of going to happen, uh, but the real situations that they kind of really happen after if you do it. Yeah. I right, have another call, um, question from a, a person on Twitter. His name is Harrison, and um, I, I don't know if he's going to call in, so I think I'm just going to read this. Um, so Harrison says, um, I'm in the beginning of your book, um, and he says, Leonard, how has the validation or acceptance of who you authentically are helped you uncover previously untapped or unrealized parts of yourself? Hi, Harrison. That's that a again? wonderful question. And I think I got it. So when we think about like our authentic selves and who we are, a lot of it is uh, kind of buried away and it's stashed in under like deep memories in our subconscious. If we have a tragic incident, what most people do is they bury it into deep into their subconscious. And any events that kind of relate to it kind of get wiped out with it, which is kind of crazy because then we have all these like unconscious memories that are kind of determining our actions and who we are and what we do, which kind of really sucks. Uh, but then yeah. once we kind of go in there and we start like diving into our minds and kind of piecing together and road mapping and going backwards of exactly who we are, uh, we start to kind of uncover these situations and uh, those situations can be extremely challenging to face because when we look at things from our own perspective and we have someone like um, <clears throat> belittling us or saying something demeaning, like we take that and we kind of internalize it and then we're like, oh, wait, that was a very bad moment. I feel weak. I feel shameful about it. But then when we, we could kind of go in that situation and take ourselves out of that perspective and kind of replay it more like a movie where we're a spectator and we're watching things on the big screen. Uh, what happens is, like, let's say your mom says, like my mom said, oh, you can't do that. You'll never be able to do that. She doesn't say that because she thinks I'm unable to do it. What, the reason she's actually saying that is because she tried something similar. She failed, and because of her language barrier, she's unable to communicate that in the right way. Now, if I'm able to kind of flip that around, understand, uh, put myself into her shoes, 
and feel the empathy for why she communicated in the way that she did, I could forgive her for that memory. And once I kind of let that go, then all the other mm-hmm. memories that kind of associate with that kind of come back to you, then you can go and forgive those incidents. And once you do, you kind of have a bigger recollection of your life. And the more you're able to do this with more different incidents of your life, the more you're able to go out there and kind of reclaim all these memories that you kind of lost. Like at the beginning, at sometime, uh, I think either this year or last year, I kind of had this memory block where I couldn't really go past a few different years. And it was mm-hmm. because I had this one big troubling incident that was kind of like uh, staying upon me that I kind of, <clears throat> that kind of like made me, I think my wife said something. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it kind of made me go and repress all these other memories that went along with it. But then yeah. I kind of like challenged myself and was like, wait, what was this incident? What happened? Why is it so scary? And then I had to go and replay it. And once I did that, I'm like, whoa, I can remember things from like when I was like five years old now. I even remember like kids I went to like junior high with and high school oh. and elementary. I'm like, how, how am I recollecting their names? And it's kind of crazy how the memories just come like flooding back. Yeah. So um, to answer your question, does it allow you to go and know yourself better? Yeah, a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of elementary school, uh, I always ask this um, of people when they're here. What's what's kindergarten Leonard Kim like? What were you like in kindergarten? Kindergarten, Leonard Kim went to school on the first day with Grandma and Grandpa. We pulled up in the Chevy Astro van, and Grandma was like, oh, go out there and go play with the students, and Grandpa was right behind her, and Leonard went and leave Grandma's leg and cried Grandma and Grandpa's leg. I think both of their legs, and I cried there for about 30 minutes, and then I had to kind of get dragged into the school, and... Once I went in, it was actually kind of fun. Got to play with a lot of people. Got to draw my cyber truck. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, all the other fun things that students kind of do when they're in school. Um, It got a little bit more challenging in my second grade when I was, like, playing tetherball and I had an accident and uh, got made fun of. But before that, it was kind of cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And did did you – did you like did you like school like all at, at all like let's go high school were you like yeah I, I here's why I'm asking this because we have a lot of people um on on best ever you who aren't 40 aren't 30 they're 15 to 25 and they use some of our content and so forth to form values goals belief systems and so forth and I also noticed we have quite um a crowd of young budding entrepreneurs who are much younger than you would ever think. That's awesome. Uh, For me, I I really liked school when I was like in elementary school. I kind of got awards, kind of excelled at my grades, didn't really study that much. So it was kind of a lot of luck where I was able to get better grades than um, I should have probably got. But what ended up happening is in ninth and 10th grade, when my grandfather had Alzheimer's, like because he began to kind of forget who I was and because in the Asian community, it's not typical to send someone who's grieving or having difficulty understanding to maybe a therapist who would be able to talk them through the different emotions. And um, what ended up happening is after my grandfather passed away, my uncle 
uh, kind of wanted us to get rid of all his belongings. He told my grandma to get rid of everything that was in the garage, oh, no. his fishing poles, his toolboxes, uh, his clothes, his uh, everything that he had. And he wanted to erase him from existence because he didn't really get along with him. And that trauma kind of, I, 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 I we'll didn't even remember that incident until like maybe a few months ago. And that kind of pushed me over the edge where I was like dying to go into a world where I was like accepted, where I was valued. So what it did is it made me kind of lash out, made me start to have my grades kind of fall, uh, started hanging out with the wrong people, getting into trouble and a lot of those things. And school went from something that I really enjoyed to something that I felt like I was trying to push away, which probably wasn't the right thing to do. But uh, I just didn't know how to cope because I didn't learn any of those coping mechanisms or any of those things that I should have learned at the time. Yeah. I'm sorry that happened. And, um, yeah, it's, um, you know, isn't it interesting that I say this a lot, too. Like, when you're around other people, you really have sometimes no idea what's going on with them either. Do you? Do you notice that? Like, again, it's sort of like that walking wounded thinking. But like when you like even when you're had this instance after my dad died, I had this um, instance where I was standing in the produce section of the grocery store and I must not have been moving. And I know I was crying and I think I was crying like over a thing of pears. Like, you know, I was just standing there. I was Mm -hmm. crying and there were pears in front of me. And this older lady came up to me and she said, honey, which one of your parents just passed away? And I'm like, wow, how do you know? I looked up. I'm like, how do you know that? And she goes, that's the only, that, that look is unmistakable. <laughs> that's the only look people have when something really bad's happened. And usually it's a parent at around your age. And I just looked up at her and she gave me, it was this total complete stranger. I, I did not know her in our community. It's pretty small, but I didn't know her. And um, she gave me the biggest hug ever and just said, let me, let me help you, you know, and, let's make sure that you can drive to, is there somebody I can call? You seem pretty shit. You know, it was just so bizarre because I thought I was okay. And then I just suddenly wasn't in the store. I don't know why or what I did. Pairs weren't significant to my father or anything, but I just had like a freak out. And um, I just, I, I think since that moment, I've really think a lot about other people in passing even, and there's so much you don't know about people. That's a lot. I know. Sorry. Yeah. Do you agree? A lot of of people, what they do is they just hold on to their pain and they're unsure of exactly how they really know and express or let it go. And that just kind of builds up as time goes by and then more time goes by and more time goes by and more and more things kind of attach and associate themselves to it. And as time, and then... And there comes a day where some people just like explode and it's like, whoa, what just happened? Or they just have a meltdown or things like that. And I think this happens in a lot more instances with a lot more people than we could really even think about. And it's more common than uh, what we would think. And I think that's one of the reasons why Ditch the Act is available, because if we could go and share one of these small little tragic things that happened in our lives and we get to more comfortable sharing more and more of these uh, tragedies, 
and yep. uh, the uh, bad things that happen, then it doesn't just continue to pile on to ourselves. We don't get to hold on to it all. We get to release it. We get communities going out there and sharing how they felt with these situations and how they kind of grew and developed out of it. So then we kind of all band together and realize that we're not in it together. We're all hurting, but then we're all here to heal each other too. Yeah, no, beautifully put. And um, yeah, we're going to quickly run out of time here, um, but we're going we're gonna to go over just a minute or two. Um, so we go into record mode. For anybody listening live, it's going to just flat out cut out. We are recording, so you can catch the end of the show um, on free replay. But um, yeah, so I, I just think about that. I say a lot on Twitter. I think Twitter is where I put this. So I, I say, you know, as you're, as you're going out into the world today, touch each life you encounter with, you know, compassion, grace, kindness, you know, all those things, because you really don't know what another person is going through. Um, and so um, just slight mindfulness of, of other people, I think, is, is key. But and then to tie in what you were saying, too, is mindfulness of yourself as well, so that you, you heal up, like you were talking about. So I think that's, that's cool. So I love your book. Anyway, it's been so much fun having you on here. Um, and is there anything before we go that you wanted to talk about that I didn't just flat out miss? Kind of like little gaps in the TED Talk without the pictures behind me, <laughs> right? Well, I'm not sure if there's anything we missed. I mean, a lot of people do say that hurt people hurt people. And if we yeah. really think about it, like most of us really do go through a lot of pain with our lives. And some of it is intentional where people are just bullying us. Some of it isn't intentional where it just ends up happening and we're just misinterpreting how things really are. Kind of like that situation with my mother. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, what we really have to focus on is just healing as an entire society because if we could all come to a place where we're all vulnerable, sharing our uh, uh, moments and kind of bringing that human life back it brings us back to that uh probably the times when my grandfather was alive where there was a sense of community where people would wave down the street and say hello to each other where people were yeah. coming and uh if we could kind of get back to that state then it'd be a pretty nice world to live in yeah i agree all right we're leaving it on that leonard kim everyone cool um yeah, I got your name. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Um, his website is leonardkim.com. Leonard, it's been a joy, a pleasure. We've learned a lot. We've laughed a lot. And um, I appreciate your time and energy in being with us tonight. Very important. Thank you. Anytime. Yeah, I hope you Thank come back. Thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth. I will. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Um, Leonard, thank you. And thank you all so much for listening to the Best Ever You show. Again, we're completely grassroots. We, um, I joke around sometimes. I call myself Outflow and Husband Funded. Those are my nicknames. Kind of proud of them. We, uh, (laughs) we, we do make a little bit of money on the radio show now after so many years. However, it's all grassroots. I do not throw any advertising dollars into this show whatsoever. So it's completely word of mouth, social sharing. And what I love about this show is when we have guests like Leonard Kim on, you guys go out and buy his book, you support him and his uh, efforts, you listen, you learn, you know, all those good things and you share. So if this show helped you in some way, please tell somebody about it. We appreciate it. We appreciate your time and energy in being with us. 
And we will see you after the new year with many more shows for 2020. So, all right, everybody, we're clo- isn't that neat? We're closing out our year, best ever year, year of shows. I think we did 40 shows this year um, with Leonard Kim. Yay. All right. Ditch the act, everybody. Go buy it. It's on Amazon. Go to his website, leonardkim.com. Have a great night, everybody. Take care. Thank you, Leonard. Yay. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.